0: I just remembered as I was sitting down here uh, just a little bit ago that school starts this week for many, many people, right? Amen? (laughs) Right, parents, maybe? Here's what I'd like to have happen. Uh, Can I have all of the students stand? Those of you who will be returning to school this week or next week, and that includes elementary all the way through college, would you stand up? Look around the auditorium, friends. Would you remain standing? And then I wanna have all the parents stand and all the educators stand. Would you guys all stand? I wanna have a word of prayer for all of you. The other three of you can remain seated. All right, let me pray for the students, for the parents, and for the educators. God, I'm reminded uh, this morning, as Pastor Anthony shared, Romans 8, that nothing can separate us. God, this time of year uh, can be a little bit um, anxiety-producing, fear-producing. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just reach and touch every student that is standing here in this place, whether they're going to school for the first time or whether they're um, getting ready to start their senior in college or master's program. Lord, I pray that you would just intervene into their life and remind them of who they are in Christ, that you are there. You are there. And that you care about them and that you love them and that you've created them and you've given them purpose and a reason. And God, so I pray that as they go back to school for that first challenging and tough moment, that they would be reminded of the truth of Scripture and they could turn to you instantly and have the sense of your presence. Would you protect them, protect their minds, their hearts? Lord, I pray for the parents. Lord, I pray that, um, Lord, as we've been through summer and they too are preparing for school, And we jokingly say sometimes that they are ready, but it also is a tough time. Lord, I pray that you also would would remind the parents that um, these children, these kids, these adults that are going back to school have just been on loan and that you are in control and that you would meet them as well and equip them with all they need and sustain them. And for the educators, Lord, Lord, as they go back into the classroom or online teaching, Lord, I pray that you would prepare them. I pray that you would equip them. I pray, Lord, that they too would be reminded that they are doing what they're doing because you have called them to do it and you've given them a purpose to do that. You've given them the gifts and the talents to do that. I pray that they would do it faithfully. They would teach and equip faithfully. And they would always have in mind the truth of your word. And we bring all glory to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. Thank you. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Proverbs 22, verse 15 this morning, 2215. Thanks for being here and worshiping with us this morning, those who are joining us online. And tonight at 6 o'clock in Kindred, Proverbs 2215, we're in this uh, series called Catch 22 this summer. It's based on Proverbs 22. So far, uh, in case you haven't been here or you just cut snap, we've covered reputation and humility and wickedness and parenting and debt and generosity and quarreling and wisdom and faithfulness and laziness and seduction. And now today, appropriately, we're talking about discipline, actually, about family. If you need a Bible, slip a hand up. We've got ushers who have Bibles. They love to uh, get one in your hands. You can use it this morning. Proverbs twenty-two fifteen. as we continue on in, in this passage, says this. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Folly is an interesting word. What does it mean? Folly means foolishness, and the definition of folly is moral immaturity, and it comes from a Hebrew word that suggests uh, arrogance or flippant or hard-hearted or a hardened fool. In other words, children do not know uh, how to live moral lives. They must be trained how to live morally responsible lives is what Solomon is teaching us this morning. And I would imagine that most everyone here has a huge desire to see their children walk with the Lord and, and not only understand the depth of the gospel, but to live in the gospel and to live out of the gospel. Is that a fair assumption? think so. And the truth is, if we're going to raise children who love the Lord and and children who, who, who desire to worship him and follow him and serve him all of the days of their lives, then we must know that it will take more than just a parenting style or a philosophy of parenting to accomplish our goal. It'll take grace. While there is no guarantee how our children will turn out, We do our best to honor the pattern and the truth of God's word. The truth that he has given us, God's grace towards us, if you just stop and ponder that his grace towards us is this perfect example for us to parent from. After all, he is our father, right? And he is perfect in all of his ways. Let us learn from his approach as we long for the same things for our children that he longs in for us. I am about to share with you four keys to grace-based parenting. After spending two nights, Thursday night and Friday night, camping with my two grandkids, one is five, one is three. Everything I'm about to share with you is theoretical. We had a blast but it reminds me that uh, our youngest is 25 years old, so that was a blast from the past. Four keys to grace-based parenting. And stick with me, you're like, well, I'm not a parent, or I'm only an aunt, or I'm an uncle, or I'm a grandparent, just stick with me. Key number one is to have a goal. Galatians 2.20 and 21 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So everything that I'm gonna present this morning, I'm gonna start with our relationship with God, right? As our Father, as he models for us. God's entire purpose is to bring glory, all glory to Himself. And one of the ways that He does that is making us like His Son, Jesus. That's called progressive sanctification. Little by little by little, we're being transformed to be like Jesus. To be like Christ requires heart change. Only because of God's grace could we ever say, as Paul did, I have been crucified With Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Only because of his grace. We're offered freedom through his death on the cross. Our sin nature has been crucified with Christ. Now we live by faith. And when our hearts are changed, everything about us changes. We change because of God's grace. And in the same way, our children's hearts are shaped and they're molded, and their character is formed out of the outflow of God's grace and ultimately His work in their lives. So, what is our part? We can take a breath knowing that our children belong to God and we have been chosen to be in their lives. God is always at work, and that includes in the lives of our children or grandchildren. And so to answer my own question, what is our part, our entire purpose, our entire purpose, anybody in the room who has influence in a child's life, our entire purpose is to point them towards Jesus hoping that one day they will be able to say with conviction, the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is our ultimate goal. That is our ultimate direction. How in the world do we do that? First, we have to know that in no way can we ever make our children love God and pursue him what we can do is point them in a direction. I wanna zoom out for just a minute and look to scripture for a bigger picture or a bigger goal. Does God's word give us any direction? And I start with the question, what is your goal in raising children? What is your goal in helping raise grandchildren, being a part of another parent's tribe who has influence on little ones? What is your goal? Is it your own personal survival? Sometimes it feels that way. Is it to keep them from hurting themselves? Is it to teach them how to have fun? Is it to be productive in society? Is that that the goal? Like anything else in life, when there is no target, what's the answer? You hit it every single time because without a goal, motivation lacks. I read something interesting this past week. Within the minimalist movement, some have adopted within that movement the no-goal way of living. Maybe Maybe you've heard about this. They say it is so freeing when you don't have any goals it's so freeing. They begin by asking themselves, why do I have these goals anyway? The answer was always the same, so I can accomplish what I'm supposed to accomplish. And through their exploration of living goalless, they came to believe that achieving a goal and getting the results they wanted is not what determines their happiness. By adopting a goalless lifestyle, now they could be happy, because they don't, you don't have any goals. I'm starting the discussion of parenting not suggesting that we have an obsessive set of rigid goals and that if we don't check all the boxes that we have somehow failed at parenting or grandparenting or have an influence on younger people. What I'm encouraging us to think about is a bigger picture, a direction. When we fail to consider a destination goal, it's easy to wander kind of all over the map, all over the place and in our wandering we tend to adopt situational goals that are not connected to anything that is greater or any certain direction. We, we, we kind of adopt these situational goals just to get us through another day. Well, my goal today is this. Well, what if you zoomed out and you said, and you look clear to the, to the point of where they're 18 or, or, or until when they leave the nest, you said, here's my ultimate goal. What's the destination? So let me ask you again, do you have a goal? If you do, when you think about your goal for your children, is there anything that you need to revisit? Does your goal align with God's word? Does your goal encourage your child in the same direction God is encouraging them? What if our goal was to raise children who one day could echo the words of Paul and, and with conviction? What if one day our kids could say, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What if that was our goal? Number one, have a goal. Secondly, set boundaries. And we see this in scripture, again, a father to his children. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 says this, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Yet even with God's willingness to extend us his grace, he also sets boundaries in place to keep us in his grace and to protect us. Paul writes in the book of Romans, shall I go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he answers his own question, by no means should you do that. While there are no limits to his grace, there are boundaries within his grace, boundaries used to to help protect us and, and to help grow us. And if we as parents do not set boundaries with our kids, they will set them for us. Either our children will live according to the boundaries we have set, or they'll live according to the boundaries they have set. And it's really that simple. Somebody is running the show. Somebody is deciding what's okay and what's not okay. And the goal and responsibility we have been given as parents is to teach and equip our children to love the Lord with all of their hearts, with all their soul, all their mind, and all of their strength. And we are also responsible to guide and instruct our children in such a way that as they grow up, they will live their life willing to take responsibility for their actions in all areas of life. First and foremost, in the responsibility to God. I wanna share with you three parenting styles of which two of them are extreme, and one I believe to be the style in which grace-based parenting can most easily be accomplished. And maybe um, as I share these, you'll think back, uh, if you're a parent or um, an aunt or uncle, whatever, you'll think back and say, yeah, that was my parent, or maybe you'll even identify yourself in this, or or maybe um, your children will identify you in these examples. But the first one, the parenting style first is authoritarian and I call it the commander in chief. And this style of parenting has that underlying uh, untruth of I own my child. The most common word used to describe this parenting style is strict. You will hear kids say all the time, my parents are so strict, they won't let me do anything. And that may or may not be true, right? But if you were to dig deep enough into a person's life who adheres to this style of parenting, you might find somebody who has the tendency who wants to control everything. And the assumption is that strict, tight boundaries will result in raising better children. And the misconception about this style of parenting is that if I can get my child to obey externally, that also can be assumed that their heart is changing. That their heart will also be in line. Anyone can get their child to obey Anyone can get their child to conform, and in doing so, sometimes we have fooled into thinking that their heart is also conformed. There is freedom for children who are not controlled by a controlling parent. If they know the boundary, they are free to live within the boundary. They can live and explore within the identified limits and still feel safe and protected. Authoritative parents are in a desperate need to control their children. And because of their need to control, it's easy to demand obedience now. They struggle with limits because they themselves feel out of control. And often this style of parenting is more about the parent than it is the child. Rather than allowing healthy freedom within identified boundaries, they strive to control every situation, every decision, every behavior. So that's the first style is the authoritarian, the chief and commander in chief. And the second one is permissive, and I call it the doughboy. And oftentimes you'll look at families and you'll have a combination of, of all of these, right? <clears throat> this parenting style is quick to spoil a child and slow to set limits. While the authoritative parent always knows best and what is right, the permissive parent believes in love, love, love. And these parents are devoted to meeting every need of their little ankle biters at every stage of life. And the permissive parent is is strong on giving love, but weak on establishing limits and boundaries. Whatever you want whenever you want it. And the telltale sign of a permissive parenting is that the child is in control. And because the child is in control, the parent often will resort to bribery to keep the peace. One of the driving forces behind this type of parenting is the fear of damaging a child by being too strict. That is why this parent will only enforce boundaries as a last resort. Permissive parents have a hard time with the word, do you know what it is? No. No, you don't know what it is? Yes, it's no. The word no. And sticking with it. And they struggle to set limits and enforce consequences. And this parent, may ground a child and even remove the restriction after one day or after a few hours. In this type of home, the child always wins. They rule the house, the parent or the parents may think that they are in charge, but in fact, the kid gets whatever he or she wants. They determine their own bedtime, they decide what they wanna eat, and when they wanna eat, they determine what to watch on TV, they'll determine what you get to watch on TV. They decide what is good and what is good for them. So we have the two extremes, the authoritarian, the commander-in-chief, and the, and the permissive, which is the doughboy. And then the, the third parenting style is what I call grace-based, and it's the guide. And I think this style of parenting has this underlying truth. Children are gifts from God, and he has graciously loaned them to us for a time. And it is my responsibility to guide them toward adulthood by using a balance of love and limits. And the boundary style parenting approach sees their job more as a guide who uses a balance. Defining a boundary. So maybe you guys have heard the word boundaries. They, they have books for everything, every area of life as far as setting a boundary. For marriage, for relationships, for work, for whatever, for kids. Defining a boundary, here's what it is. In the simplest sense, a boundary is a property line. It denotes the beginning and the end of something. It's like having a fence. If you think of your your house and you have a fence in the backyard, uh, the fence represents the boundary, and and it's there for two reasons. One is to to keep everything that's good inside and keep everything that's bad from getting in. And the key to parenting with boundaries, and this is so hard for so many, is consequences. If there are no consequences, then there are no boundaries. If there are no boundaries because there are no consequences, then you as a parent are not in control. Children sense the freedom to choose. Their choice will either impact them favorably, or they will suffer the consequences, right? If we are authoritative and always make the decision for our children, they will not know how to choose because we're always telling them what to do and what they can do and what they can't do. If we are permissive and allow our children to get whatever they want, they will not understand that there are consequences to their decisions. So those are the weaker points on both of those models. So what happens in boundary parenting is that the child becomes responsible for their choice and I'm talking about little itty-bitties as well. Mom doesn't make the choice, nor does dad, the child does. They either choose to cooperate and allow the parents to be an authority or they choose to suffer the consequences by attempting to take authority from mom and dad and put it in their own hands. Let's keep going. Key number three is implement reality discipline. Hebrews 12 says this, And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those that he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. So let's talk for a minute about reality discipline. And I know discipline is a hot topic, it's all over the board, right? But God holds us accountable for our decisions. And the reality is this, there are consequences to our decisions. We know that as adults, right? He allows us to experience those consequences in hopes to kind of shift us or realign us. And He's given us freedom. However, with the freedom comes responsibility and accountability, right? So our actions have consequences. Jesus said, what you sow you will And this law is true in every area of life. So how do we apply the way God treats us to parenting? How do we do that? Well, there's the choice approach. In the same way God allows us to exercise our free will, that's why he's given us free will, right? He says to us, choose. It's your choice. In the same way, we allow our children to choose. But also, in the same way, God gives us a choice. He allows us to experience the consequences of our choice. So, always give them a consequence for their choice. And this is what this this next line I'm going to share with you is probably one of the most, for me, it was one of the most profound things for parenting um, that I was able to grab a hold of. And it's this let me say it and then their choice then is between them and the reality of their choice. Because what I would find myself doing is that the battle would often become between um, one of my children and me, right? So that's where the tension was, that's where the argument was, that's where the power struggle was, over and over and over again. But learning this idea that their choice is between them and the reality of their choice, what it does for you as a parent is it removes you out of the scenario And now the battle becomes between the child and the choice that they are going to make. So it's this case of, okay, you have a choice. You can choose either A or you can choose B. But I need you to know that if you choose B, here's what's going to happen. Step back. So now the child is confronted with making the choice. They get to choose A or they get to choose B. But if they choose B, they know what's going to happen. And it's no longer the power struggle between you and the child. The power struggle becomes between the child and their choice. That was huge for me. And if they choose the best, then encourage them. Praise them for making such a wise choice. If they choose the path of the consequence, then love them. But at the same time, do not neglect the consequences that they have chosen. They choose the consequences, not you. The choice is theirs, not yours. You do not make them choose the wrong way. If you establish a boundary and do not follow through with the consequences, it was never a boundary in the first place. Basically, this is where the rubber meets the road. And if you establish a a boundary and your child chooses to break it and they are not accountable for their decision, then your boundary was useless. If a child is pestering his parent, um, as, as an example, Um, You're on the phone and a child is pestering you over and over again. So you have, you can do this uh, uh, parenting A, parenting B, you could say you're the authoritative parent, the chief and commander, and you can threaten them, you can scream at them, you can say stop, you can do all of these demanding kinds of things while you're on the phone and they know you're on the phone, right? Or you can be the lovey-dovey, the doughboy, and just, oh, hey, little, you know, just wait. Mommy says, Daddy says, I'm on the phone. Could you just leave me alone? Stop biting me, stop kicking me, stop, and just on and on and on and on. Or you could sit down the phone and you could say, hey, look, little Susie, little Johnny, I'm sorry if that's your name, but little Susie, little Johnny, if you continue to choose to do this, when I get off of the phone, here's the consequence. Right? And now the child, all of a sudden, my perfect child is here, look at her, she's here. All of a sudden, the perfect child says, oh, okay, I get it. Now my, my, now my decision becomes between me and the consequence and not me and mom or dad who's on the phone, right? Give it a try. I tried it this weekend with my grandkids. <laughs> Maybe things have changed, I don't know. <clears throat> but it's worth a shot, right? It's what scripture teaches. It's what God does with us. There's a huge difference between setting a boundary and punishment. Punishment is not holding a child accountable for their decision. It is exactly what it says it is. It's punishment. The fourth key is demonstrate unconditional love. Romans 5 eight. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace-based parenting is love at all costs. Our kids need to know, above all else, that we love them no matter what. And we say that, but I encourage you to wrestle again, with what is unconditional love. It's, there's no strings attached. They just want to know that we accept them and we love them for who they are. God did not make a mistake when he created your child. He gave them their looks, their brains, their personality, their emotions, their gifts, their talents, their demeanor, their desires, their passions, their unique abilities, their interests, because God is not a God of confusion. God creates each child just exactly how he wants them. To attempt making your child to be someone whom God has not created them to be, is to say to God, you do not know what you're doing, but I do. The way God created your children is the way in which they can bring him the most glory with their life. Boys are often criticized for being too noisy, messy, and aggressive. Girls are often criticized for being too emotional, picky, and overly sensitive. Some kids are criticized for being too slow, forgetful, or inquisitive. Kids are measured by their parents as to how well they do in school or how well are they doing on the athletic field. Kids have their own way of communicating their unique style of who they are and how God has created them. They live with the world screaming at them, that they're not attractive, they're not important, they're not smart, they're not interesting. And often as parents, we get this picture of what we would like our our child or our children to look like, to act like, and to perform like. And then we're disappointed in them when they turn out differently. And don't think that our children aren't aware of our disappointment. Half of our battle is accepting our children just the way they are with all of their faults, with all of their weaknesses. Gracious love includes words and actions demonstrating love no matter what their appearance, no matter how good of a student or an athlete they are. Just like God's love towards us. Our love towards them needs to supersede everything. Love always allows room for a child to be who God has created them to be. And guess what? he may not have created them to be just like you. Love also points them to the truth of God's word and away from the list and the lies of the enemy. The enemy is wanting to take everything I'm almost done, so I want you to hear these last couple things. The enemy is is wanting to take everything that God says is good and manipulate it and completely flip it on its head. Whether that's sexuality, right from wrong, where their value comes from, who they are, Satan will tell them they can't have an impact. Or this conformity of all of their friends are doing right, whatever is right in their own eyes. Satan has taken everything that God has created as good, has has the way that God has created our children, perfect in his sight. Amazing in his sight, exactly the way he wants them to. Satan's taken it all, and he's flipping it completely over. And that's the pressure that our kids are under. Love allows room for a child to be who God has created them to be. God says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Talk about completely understanding and undeserving. He was willing to look beyond all of our mistakes and faults, and he loves us anyway. Tell your kids you love them regardless. Show them you love them no matter what. Demonstrate to them that they can never do anything that would keep you from loving Let me leave you with this one thing. It's actually four parts to a one thing. I was already made fun of that this morning, but that's okay. Reflect God's grace-based parenting techniques, and it's the four things we just talked about. Have a goal. What's the destination you have in mind? Set boundaries. Implement reality discipline. And demonstrate unconditional